Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. There's a dragon in my nativity, dreadful and immense. The shepherds quake, the wise men shake, and spill their frankincense. The cattle are alone, and the baby is awake, while Joe and Mary tremble. Oh, this must be some mistake. There's a dragon over Bethlehem. I don't know how he came. I didn't think a donkey could have borne the dragon's frame. I don't believe the census had been called for such as him. And I'm certain that when Dragon knocked, no room was at the inn. There's a dragon by the stable. I don't know why he's there. He hasn't bought a present, and he only seems to glare. He hovers over David's town, that still beneath him lies. Yet no one's sleep is dreamless, underneath his piercing eyes. This dragon isn't visible with ordinary sight. You cannot snap a selfie or televise his flight. Unseen he stands for every power that stands against the earth. The death, disease and darkness overshadowing each birth. This dragon is an enemy of all that's good and true. This monster lies and steals and kills. He's coming after you. Above each crib the dragon hovers, sure to swallow whole. Rulers, empires, beauty, joy, a flesh and blood black hole. But dragons always meet their match, they always meet their doom. A hero rises to the fight to cast them into gloom. And so at this nativity arose another player, the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. He was a dragon slayer. He'd come to fight through Hera's plots, through dangers big and small. He took on evil, sickness, death, and triumphed over all. A dragon or a baby? Just who would win the fight? It wasn't really fair, you see. The child was a knight. From high above and long before, he knew what must be done. He knew the dragon waiting here. And still, he chose to come. There's a dragon in my nativity, a fierce and monstrous danger. But fierce is still the bravery and love within the manger. That was our visual representation of what we've been doing the last three weeks as we've been walking through Revelation 12 at Christmas time. I want to welcome you this morning. If you're here with family or friends, you're visiting with us, um, what a great morning to be together. What a great morning to come together and, and sing and worship and celebrate what God has done. This year, we've been looking at Christmas through a different lens, through the lens of Revelation 12, which gives us a much broader picture than just the the intimate story of the nativity and uh, uh, a, a a trip to Bethlehem into a, into a stable in a, in a tiny corner of the world. 
Revelation 12 reveals a very different or a very full picture of Christmas. It reminds us of the context of Christmas, which is a story that includes and assumes our participation. It's kind of the reminder of Christmas, and in, in Revelation, John writes, and it's interesting because he's writing to a people, to believers who are really familiar with the story of the nativity. But what's interesting is, is the situation that they're facing is that they're facing a lot of problems. They're facing a lot of difficulties and trials. They're facing false teaching. They're facing persecution. They're facing paganism and immorality at every turn. That doesn't sound unlike the world in which we live in as well. And so this story of Christmas from a cosmic perspective is something that is so very much for us as well. You see, we're living in the midst of a cosmic struggle for the salvation of the lost. And the great news is that Jesus has already been victorious in that struggle. But what he calls us to do is join him in pursuing people who are deceived by this, this dragon by the enemy, by Satan, by the devil. And so our response to Christmas is this, depending on our position, Jesus is either a savior or a judge. He's a savior to all of those who have come to Jesus in repentance, who have recognized our own sinfulness, as Trey was talking about earlier, that he is a savior to those who have bowed their knee and confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's a judge for those who have refused him and rebelled against him. And what we're called to do as people of God is to prepare the way for his return. And one of the ways we do that is that we never, ever tire of doing good that God sets before us. We, here at Crosspoint, we've talked a lot about in this last year about pursuing intimacy with Jesus. And we've not talked a lot about the specifics of action. And here's why. A group of us were in Iraqi Kurdistan not long ago. And a guy who is there made this made this statement to us. He said, don't give us money. He said, God will provide what he wants us to accomplish. He said, don't look at what we're doing and, and just give us money. He said, the best thing that you can do for us is to pursue intimacy with Jesus. Because if you are pursuing intimacy with Jesus, you will do everything that he wants you to do, no matter what that is. And he said, that is the way to best benefit and support and serve us, by serving Jesus. That's why. Because when we pursue intimacy with Jesus, then we will obey him. 
we will understand him. We will see people through his eyes and see people with his compassion and see people with his urgency. And so this morning, we all live in a difficult time, albeit not a unique time in history. We have everything we need to bring light and life to the world around us with all confidence and without any fear, no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, no matter what we see or what we experience. And so we're gonna finish off our short walk in Revelation 12. So if you have your Bibles this morning, Revelation 12, we're gonna be simply starting in verse 10. And where we've been so far is that in the beginning of Revelation 12, what we see is there's these two great signs in all the heavens that everyone experiences and sees. No one doesn't see these signs. And so the first great sign is the sign of a, of a woman who's pregnant and about to give birth, which, which is twofold because it does, it does symbolize the moment uh, that we celebrate this morning uh, uh, and we remember of Mary giving birth to baby Jesus, but there's something even greater about that, that sign of a pregnant woman in heaven who's about to give birth because it is that moment that all of, of the cosmos, all of the powers and principalities and, and beings recognize that, that God kept and was true to his promise of bringing a Messiah through the seed that he talked about in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman that he brought to fruition. Then it says there was another great sign, which was a dragon. And last week we talked through that. And that dragon is the ancient serpent, the devil, Satan, who manipulates and deceives humankind into believing something that's false and gives people a false story, a false narrative about themselves and about others around them. And so now in, in Revelation 12 and verse 10, it says this. It says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. So there's been two signs in heaven up to this point that John has seen in his vision. And then it said he heard a loud voice that all of heaven heard. And that loud voice made a declaration. It was an announcement. And it was an announcement about three things. It was an announcement about Jesus. It was an announcement about the dragon. And it was an announcement about us. It was an announcement about Jesus. Look at what the text says. It says, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. That's all about Jesus. It says the salvation, salvation from sins, death sentence, and its slavery, that even in our sinfulness, there is a way out. There is salvation where Jesus has given his life. He rose again, ascended into heaven, and is coming back again. And anyone who's willing to surrender themselves to Jesus 
can have this salvation. And it says in the power, what is this power? This power is to go from death to life, from weakness to strength, if we are willing to depend on and surrender ourselves to Jesus. He says the kingdom of our God, the kingdom of our God is coming and it is both a now and not yet. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is in every single person who has Jesus Christ as their savior and is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And so anywhere a person of God goes, there goes the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God has come by way of the conquering blood of Jesus, making us his priest disciples. Those who join him in his mission and call others towards him, no matter what their background, history, ethnicity, behavior has been. And finally, he says the authority of his Christ, namely King Jesus, name above all names, to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And so this announcement, this, this word in heaven is number one about Jesus and who he is and what he offers to us. He offers us life from death. He offers us freedom from slavery. He offers us a mission to join him on. And then there's an announcement about the dragon. Notice that it goes on and it says, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. The accuser has been thrown down who accuses day and night. Last week we talked about that picture in, in Job in the Old Testament in Job chapter one where it says the sons of God came to God and, and we're giving God reports, and, and it said also Satan, the great accuser, came to God, and he was accusing God's people. One day, that, that will no longer be an accessible place for the enemy, and it says that he's been thrown down, and he no longer can accuse God's people. And here's the thing about the dragon, that he accuses day and night, and that activity has ended because of Jesus. You see, what, what he says is that you are broken, sinful, and shameful. Remember what you thought yesterday? Shame on you. <laughs> how, how can you be of any value? How can you please God in any way? Thinking about your behavior, whether it was recent or far in the past, you still did it, that's who you are. And he constantly is accusing and he wants to try and deceive and manipulate God, which is a tall task to say that these people gathered here this morning are not worthy of God's attention or his affection or his mercy or his grace. But you see, we have the opportunity because of what Jesus did, because of Christmas, because of his life and his resurrection and his ascension, we have the opportunity to respond to the accuser by saying, yes, you are right about me, but I have a greater savior than my sins, and he has given me salvation, power, a kingdom, and the authority of my Messiah. I have been delivered and am safe from your accusations both now and forever. 
That is where the dragon stands today. That his accusations are worthless and pointless. And we simply have to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And he is living and reigning. And he is preparing to return and make everything right. And then the announcement is also about us. I mentioned earlier that, that Christmas is, is, is not just about what Jesus did, but what we are invited into. And oftentimes when we get an invitation, we prefer that invitation to be inviting us into something that we enjoy, that is pleasurable, that is enjoyable, that's convenient, that is comfortable, all of those things. But, but what Jesus invites us into is something that he must empower because it is a hard thing. And so this, this announcement in heaven about us is this, verse 11. And they, speaking of those who are the people of God, who are the followers of Jesus, who are the priest disciples that Jesus has called to himself and now empowers to do his mission, it says, and they have conquered him, the dragon, in two ways. By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. There's two truths about us who are in Christ. Two truths. One is this, that we have conquered the dragon, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb. Sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, you and I are invulnerable and fear not the dragon nor his schemes, and we see those things as they are. They are revealed. Revelation is an apocalyptic writing, and, and all that simply means is revealing. It reveals the truth of history and the truth of what we have yet to experience. That we have conquered the, the enemy by the blood of the lamb and no longer does he have power. Second Corinthians 5, 21, 20 and 21, Paul writes this. He says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God makes his appeal to humankind through you and through me. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he has made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That in Christ, we are God's righteousness. So is there anything that we can do our righteousness, that which we can, can muster up, that which we can create is like dirty rags. I sometimes think I'm funny at home and about, but we're in, 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 our, in, our, in our living room and uh, Sherry had brought home this box uh, from the welcome center of the rags that they clean the, the tables off. And on the box, on the front, it just said dirty rags. And I walked into the kitchen and I said to Sherry, I said, hey, honey, I found your righteousness in the living room. <laughs> I'm just being biblical. Um, 
It's easier to say that about other people than, you know, ourselves, but. But here's the reality. Because of the lamb who's conquered, who we have conquered through the blood of the lamb, our righteousness is that of God's righteousness. And we are made right, and we are holy, and we are set apart for God's purposes. First Peter 1, verse 18 says this, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, the blood of the lamb, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. There's a Talmudic tradition, which the Talmud is basic, to to simplify it, to extremely simplify it, it is the kind of rabbinical thinking and commentary and traditions that are very weighty and strong in, in, in Jewish history. But there's a Talmudic tradition that, that they, they say that every night and every day, the enemy accuses God's people except on the Day of Atonement, which the Jews celebrate. So on the Day of Atonement, the enemy is forbid to accuse God's people. Here's the great news of Christmas and what Jesus has done is that every day for the ones who are in Christ is the day of atonement. And every single day, the enemy cannot accuse God's people of anything because our sins are paid for and covered by the blood of the conquering lamb. And so John writes that they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, even in the face of death. It's interesting, that that verse in in Revelation 12 that we we look at in, in verse 11, if you did a very literal rendering of the Greek, it says that, uh, it says, by reason of the word of their martyrdom, that, that their testimony is, is basically by, by reason of the word of their martyrdom, that, that there, there is something about the word that we spread, our testimony, our witness, us testifying of what Jesus has done, not only for us, but what he's done for everyone, no matter what happens to us, that that does not go unseen. More than life itself, Whatever benefit this world or this life holds is secondary at best in the face and in, in, in value of talking up Jesus alone in my life to others. Whatever we do in this life, the good things we do are, are important and they're significant, but they are valueless if we are not fully and, 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 and finally focused and speaking of the power and the work of Jesus Christ in the world and for our lives. Matthew chapter five, Jesus says this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And back in Revelation two, John sees and hears this, do not fear 
what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. As we've talked in, in, in recent weeks, a theme of God's word is endurance and perseverance. <laughs> that we are called to endure no matter what because God will give us the grace and strength to make it if we trust him. And so what are we called to do? It says that we've conquered the enemy by the blood of the lamb, which isn't something we do. It's what Jesus has already done. And then it says, by the word of our testimony, even unto death, no matter what threats there are. So that's our job is, is by the word of our testimony. And you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this. And I think there's a difference between broadcasting and speaking. We live in a culture of broadcast. Broadcasting is what they do on TV and they argue about things. They broadcast themselves. There's no listening involved. There's no consideration of what they're saying that they may not be right. Broadcasting is often what you do on Twitter. <laughs> Broadcasting is what you do on social media. Jesus doesn't call, it doesn't say that we've overcome the enemy by broadcasting things, but by the words of our testimony. And that is this idea of speaking. Jesus calls us to speak with one another, not make statements towards or at one another, but he calls us to get into each other's lives and speak to each other words of what Jesus has done and to listen to what people say about what the message is that we bring. The word of our testimony is much more an offer of what God has done and then a listening to how that impacts those around us. And that requires faithfulness Faithfulness requires humble, surrendered, and Jesus-focused testimony. That our testimony is the greatest weapon that God has given us as revealed in his word. Matthew Henry, a, a commentator, a theologian, he writes this about Revelation 12 and about the word of our testimony, and I love what he says. He says, by the word of their testimony as the great instrument of war. Have you ever th thought about your testimony as an instrument of war? Critical to the battle that we face. As the great instrument of war, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God by a resolute, powerful speaking of the everlasting gospel, which is mighty through God to pull down strongholds and by their courage the word of their testimony and patience in suffering, they loved not their lives unto death. When the love of life stood in competition with their loyalty to Christ, they loved not their lives so well, but they could give them up to death, could lay them down in Christ's cause. To love their own lives was overcome by stronger affections of another nature, of a nature that Christ gives us. In this, their courage and zeal helped to confound their enemies, to convince many of the spectators 
to confirm the souls of the faithful and so contributed greatly to this victory. That is how God calls us to participate with him in his mission by word of our testimony. And that word of our testimony is not just the words that come out of our mouths because words can be empty if they are not backed by a lifestyle. By the word of our testimony and the testimony of our lives that we are not motivated and distracted by the things that the world is motivated by and distracted by. And so that announcement in heaven was about Jesus, it was about the dragon, and it was about us. And it's important for us to hear that because that's what Christmas has created. That is the context Christmas has created. That's the reality Christmas has created. You see, if you look at Christmas through the lens of Revelation 12, I don't know that you can ever look at Christmas the same again. I don't know that you can look at the rest of the year the same either. <laughs> and I wanna share with you in closing two things, personal convictions. It's difficult to give applications from scripture to a whole group of people. You know why? Because if you are pursuing intimacy with Jesus, then the spirit inside of you will lead you to truth and convict you of what to do and your job is to respond in obedience to where the spirit is leading you. Within the context of the family of God. And so the things that, that the Spirit is convicting me of and calling me to do might relate and might be similar to what God's calling you to do, but I can't tell you exactly how to apply this to your life and to your behavior and to your activities because God calls you to conquer the enemy by the word of your testimony that is surrendered and submitted to the Lordship of King Jesus. And so here's the two personal convictions that I've come away with after walking through Revelation 12. The first one is this, that I am in a battle, not against culture, not against one party or the other, not against people who are doing bad things, but I am in a battle for God's glory and his character against the dragon and his deceptions. That is my personal conviction. And, and here's the thing. I believe that the dragon sees victory on two fronts. One, the dragon sees victory in preventing Jesus from returning. And here's the thing about that path to victory it's closed. <laughs> the dragon cannot stop Jesus from returning. But there's another path that gives him little wins. And this is a conviction that I've come to. Is that every time I dismiss others as irredeemable or choose to label them as the enemy or even see them in their sin as dismissible, then I give the dragon a small victory in that moment. That is the only victory he can have. And I give that to him. And so I 
have a conviction that I am in a battle for God's glory and his character against the dragon and his deceptions of those who are lost, which leads to my second conviction, and that is this. My life is secured by the blood of the lamb, and I live securely by my testimony, both spoken and lived out. In other words, this is the conviction that I have. I am God's secured child, and I am his priest, disciple, who lives to intercede for others and point them toward King Jesus. And we live in a time of partisanship and politics. And saying that it is my life's purpose to lead people to King Jesus is the most political message that I can live. Because what I am saying is that there is no king but Jesus. And that is a political message. Because he rules and he reigns and he is the one who determines what I do. My job is to obey him. This morning, we're going to share and participate in communion together. And, and communion is that thing that Jesus did with his disciples when he was sitting with them, he was eating with them in that upper room before the angry mob of religious and secular individuals came to arrest him. And Jesus said to his disciples, I want to help you understand what is about to happen. My body will be broken and my blood will be shed for you, but that is not a defeat. It is how I have caused you to conquer. Because Revelation 12, 11 says, they have conquered by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And so I wanna, I wanna read to you as we take communion together, I wanna to read to you a Christmas blessing. I wanna read that over you as we take communion together because Jesus said, when you gather, I want you to do this reminding yourself of who I am, what I've done, and what awaits you. Because I love to describe communion as snack time because it is a snack to tide us over to remind us that there is a wedding feast that awaits us. And so may the extraordinary love by which the Father sent his Son at Christmas embrace your family and friends, your heart and your home this day. And may the astounding sacrifice by which Jesus was born in Bethlehem mark all our attitudes, actions, and interactions this day. And may the irrepressible joy by which the Spirit conceives and breathes new life fill you with the holiness of heaven's happiness now and forever. Amen. Let's take the, the bread together. Now let's take the cup that Jesus raised.
in victory over the dragon and bought for us eternal life and eternal presence. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.